As these podcasters continue on their journey, let us see how they fare against the hidden darkness within. Will loneliness and despair consume them and all they hold? Wait, wait, wait. Let me step in here. It's all fun and games to have Mephisto around, and these are just stories. But this one touches on some pretty delicate subjects, like depression and suicide. So listener discretion is advised. Also, if you struggle with any mental health issues, please get the help you need and know that you matter and you are loved. Thank you, listeners. And now back to Machiavellian monologues. What was that? Jeez, thanks, Dad. Way to break everybody down. Just start the show. I'll be over here binge eating some Rocky Road ice cream. (sighs) Some people, I just cannot believe this. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And with me again is John Wilson. Hey, John, how you doing? I am doing much better than Adam is because he has been killed and now Thanos is going to win. And it's only up to Spider-Man and the thing to save and I'm ready to go. Yes, we were going to be recording an issue with Adam Warlock, but guess what, John? We got a problem. What? Uh, what? We got a package delivered from the Mephisto Express. Why did you say that name? I am Morpheus. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Morpheus Express. Uh, it's Jeff and Rick from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Apparently, John, we're still stuck in a crossover. Wait, could you guys, can you let us out of this package? Can, uh, could you open that is, up, John? You mind? What happened? Rick's almost in my eyeball and I want it out. This guy uh, smells... I've got my exacto knife. Watch your hands. Okay, there's going to be a, a burst of gas because I actually did have uh, Mexican food before I got put into this box. And Jesus! It's a little ripe in here. Jesus Christ, please hurry up! You might want to take your time. It might smell like a dead corpse, but it's also, uh, it's normal. Everybody smells like a dead corpse. Eventually. Thank God for my allergies. <laughs> Oh, thank God we're free. <sighs> oh, the air's not much better out here. <laughs> Sorry, oh, well. that was me. <laughs> oh, I thought that was me. Well, this is Resurrections. I guess that, you know, with Resurrections, there does dumb decay. Yep, things come back. About an hour it's after like, you. So tell everyone who you are. Um, well, this is Jeff, and he is one of the co-hosts of Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. He spends most of his time at home with his two-year-old daughter, and he no longer has a life because of it. This is true, and I am sitting in a room with my co-host, Rick, who is the other half of uh, our show. I would like to say I'm the most important half of the show, because if I wasn't here, it would just be And Rick Presents, and that makes no sense at all. No, it doesn't. So, thank God. <laughs> Thank you for saving the grammar. 
Yep, that was the only reason Rick had me on. He's like, Jeff, I need your help. Can I use your name? And I'm like, my voice comes with it. He's like, fine, just sit in the corner and talk occasionally. This is the problem. So you, you invite somebody on and they want to talk, talk, talk all the time. Well, Rick, that's what happens when you name your show Jeff and Rick Present. And you go, oh, crap, I need a Jeff. Jeff. Yep. I should have really thought about it before I came up with the name. Name came first, and then I got the co-host. Yep. I did that totally backwards. Which I thought was weird, but it worked out well for me. <laughs> well, Thank what you. if your name had been Larry? Then you'd be like sitting at home still. So thank uh, your parents. Exactly. That's why I'm saying it worked out well for me because of the forethought my parents had. You know, uh, my my mom used to tell me about a gypsy she used to meet at a at like a mystic fairground and said, name your firstborn Jeff, lest he become a Larry and sits at home alone. Larry Dodd. Yeah, it doesn't flow as well. doesn't flow as well. Not no. so much. No. no. Uh, thank you guys very much for letting us out of that package, though. I mean, I, it just... We've all been there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not enjoyable. Not enjoyable at all. I mean... Mephisto thinks he's really funny because he actually, you know, packaged up the unpacking of the power of the power pack people. And I mean, that's just, that's rude. Mm-hmm. That's rude. No, no, remember Morpheus, he's very sensitive about the fact that we can see through his disguise. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, air quote Morpheus. Yeah, there we go. We can put the air quotes in and post. <clears throat> oh, good, good. Yeah, I'll, I'll edit them in. Don't worry. Quote unquote Morpheus was all like, you have a podcast. Ha ha ha. That's a fushable offense. And then he sent us to these uh, crossover realms. But I got to tell you, I, I think that he may have failed this time. I mean, you think so? He failed last time, too. But yeah, I mean, these are pretty good stories, I think. Yeah, yeah I uh, kind of screwed up on that. I thought it was supposed to be crappy ones, but no. No, these are good. Thank God. Our, yeah. Thank, I know, guess thank Mephisto. Mm, I'm not going to go, go that far, though. Yeah. Thank Gaiman. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, um, if, if you guys don't mind if uh, we drink up here, do you? Oh, go Did ahead. You bring some for the rest of the class? No. No. We'll go right ahead then. <laughs> Before, you know, as I saw this, you know, godlike creature come and you know grab us i managed to reach out and before you know we got stuck in this box i managed to reach in my fridge and grab a couple of uh, bottles of beer and i thought you know what this kind of actually reminds me of the book we're going to be talking about so here jeff what do we got here hey hellboy from gigantic brewing company that's kind of cool it's the blood queen cranberry yuzu sour yeah. And the story time is beware of what you ask. Let the queen of blood arise in this bewitching combination of cranberry and yuzu citrus. So I was looking at this one, and first of all, I just am still collecting all of the uh, Hellboy uh, variant uh, beers that Gigantic Brewery is coming out with. So I saw this one, and I kind of wanted to get it for that, but I also thought, hey, you know what? This kind of also reminds me a little bit of this uh, this book. Just looking at the blood cream as in how she's drawn here, it's very reminiscent of Rain in this book. And uh, I don't know, just there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of death that's there, too. Mm-hmm. I just I, I kind of saw a little bit of semblance that was there. And also, you know, talking about the blood queen with somebody who the elemental girl who doesn't really have any real blood. Not really. And to yeah. be fair, she could make it so that you could see semblance in any case because she can change her face. That's a, this is very true. Till it's sloughed off and she uses it as an ashtray. <laughs> but yeah, this is a this is a very interesting little beer here. It's a six point six six percent by volume alcohol because they got a joke there. Da-dum-dum-tsh. 
So uh, the joke is beastly. <laughs> so we're going to just enjoy this, but uh, you guys can go on and do your little talk spiel if you want. All right. Well, John, it looks like we're going to be doing a crossover issue. So we're doing Sandman number 20 instead of Warlock. We'll do Warlock next time. Okay. All right. Um, I'll just I'll just put my Infinity Gauntlet away then. Okay. Yeah, for now. Hey, you know what? Let, let me see that Infinity Gauntlet. I can go ahead and put some beer in there and you can have some if you want. <laughs> I'm just going to snap my fingers and make your beer go away. Mm-hmm. Fighting words. Those are fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. It's not instantaneous, but eventually he's very, very correct. Here, yes, watch this. Your beer will be gone very soon. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's taking a little time. Long enough for me to drink it away. Rick, Rick, the Infinity Gauntlet. It's wishing my beer away. Sip. <laughs> oh, look, it's going away. Sip at a time. I can travel through time one second at a time. <laughs> with a limitation of forward well this is this uh this this kind of is a little reminiscent of the uh the red infinity stone which uh what, what is that in the current timeline that is the reality stone is that right yeah yeah it's a little bit of reality stone color it's a very uh kind of palest reality stone color well it's filled with sediment too that's very reddish that might be uh the cranberry i'm not sure if it's very minced up that's kind of weird Huh. I don't know. I have to look for that now. I didn't know this beer, this Hellboy beer existed. A limited release party. So there's a limited number. Yeah, it's from Gigantic Brewing. They're doing limited number of runs. So this is a uh, five out of six different types. Yeah. Do you want to know how many uh, cases they're going to do? Sure. 666. Bingo, buddy. Walk right into that one. Yep. I think we gave that joke twice. We <laughs> that joke many times. Yeah, there's only so many beer jokes I think they can do, and they've, they've hit them. <laughs> Real quickly, then, just for in case anyone isn't listening to the other crossover episodes that came out today, although I don't know why they're not listening to Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Secret Wars and Beyond, or uh, Mary with Comics, because they should. It's not, they're losers. Exactly. Alex. Well, well <laughs> they're not listening, so I guess we can say whatever we want. <laughs> yeah. And then if they do start listening, well, then they're not losers anymore because exactly. they've listened in and they're part of the group. So, yeah. But just in case, let's go uh, Let's go real quick about how we discovered, you know, the Sandman, the series that we're talking about. So, um, John, do you want to go first? All right. So I have been reading Sandman off and on since it was still in publication. Uh, my brother is the one who discovered it. I was more of the superhero comics reader. He was more of the alternative comics reader, although he read a lot of Batman as well. But he started reading this book called Sandman. And my brother and I had a relationship where I did a lot of things to try to just, just like be a part of his world and try to try to improve things between us. And I started reading Sandman because he was reading Sandman, even though my, my fundamentalist religious sensibilities thought it was very strange. But um, I, I grew to love the comic. I've read it to my kids. Uh, my daughter loves it. My son also thinks it's very strange, but he rather likes it. And yeah, this is one of those issues that always stuck out in my mind. And due to life events and everything, it's just become that much more uh, poignant and impactful for me. So happy to get a chance to talk about it here. All right. Uh, Jeff? I have heard about Sandman for ever and ever since it basically came out. But uh, prior to reading this issue and the issue that we did for uh, our show, uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats, I have read one 
of, I think, the offshoot later uh, Sandman comics. So it made not much sense to me, and I have read no other. So I'm, I've am i read a lot of uh, Neil Gaiman books, but I haven't read much of his comic writing. So this is uh, it's brand new territory for me. So it's uh, fresh exploration, and it's uh, these two stories that I've gotten to read have been really good. Oh, cool. Well, this will be interesting then to have you, have you on this one today, because... Brand new gonna, for you. Yeah, it will not be a deep dive for me with all my experiences because I'll be like, well, on Thursday, I read this. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick? Yeah, I um, remember seeing Sandman stuff when I was first picking up comic books back in the 90s, but I never picked it up back then because just I, I didn't know what it was. It wasn't Marvel. It wasn't about X-Men or mutants. So why would I bother with that? It wasn't until you, I was just, you just encapsulated the '90s. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, looking back on it, I'm going, God, I was an idiot. I mean, I liked reading my X-Men stuff, but it's like I really needed to, have, you know, really you know, expanded my horizons a little bit more. So at the same time, when I got into my 20s, uh, one of my friends was collecting this. The um, uh, was collecting the trade paperbacks of it. And I picked up one and I started reading. I was like, going, "Oh, this is really good." I think at the same time he was—he uh, also introduced me to all of uh, Neil Gaiman's writing. And I was like, "I like this author. I'm going to go ahead and pick up these comics." And yeah, I bought the entire run of trade paperbacks. My wife and I both read them, both loved them, and so I was very, very happy to jump on board with this. Cool. And I knew about it somewhat back in the '90s. I saw it, there, but I wasn't reading it yet. When Vertigo started, I did try it. I think I tried most of the Vertigo books, but it was in the middle of the storyline with uh, Destruction. So it was like an issue of like him in Delirium talking, and I really wasn't sure what the heck was going on. So I really didn't read any of it again until a few years later when I was working at a comic store and started picking up. Just I was able to get so much more stuff. I was just like, oh, well, let me try reading this from the beginning and definitely was a better way to go instead of jumping in the middle. It definitely benefits a lot from the long game, but not in a lot of overt, obvious ways. It's a lot of subtle nods and tapestry weaving that you don't even realize is going on at the time. It's uh, it's a pretty intricate series, but it's deceptively so. Yeah, it's like I think we talked about in the other show, John, that the issue with the uh, Emperor of America. Where you're like, oh, that's why uh, desire. Okay, that makes sense now. Like now, it like fits in a whole bunch of other things. But yeah, so we are talking about issue twenty today, which actually does not feature the Sandman at all. No, but it does feature death. So it does kind of thematically more or less fit in with this series. I mean, my podcast, that is. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's true. It's one of the reasons I wanted this issue. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of which, there's really let's do. Uh, there's only real two characters in this issue that really count. We have Death, who is well, Death, and we have Element Girl, who basically is the uh, a female version of Metamorpho, except not never used at all by anybody, both in re- uh, reality of the series and in reality. <laughs> Well, there are you know two other characters. There's one who's just a voice, basically, who's Mulligan, who uh, you know he kind of plays an importantish part, and just is in uh, contact, you know, a verbal contact, if not physical, just verbal. It's about the only contact to the outside world that Element Girl has, uh, which is just a voice on the phone. It's her uh, 
yeah, connection. Yeah, it's her contact at the uh, at the agency, basically just to talk about her like benefits and everything. And then there is her former friend Triangle, who you know goes out to lunch with her. So, yeah. Otherwise, not yeah. It it is a story basically of one person with minor assists from three others. Right. And death being the prominent one. So yeah. So speaking of that, hold on, and I'm going to drop in the synopsis so everyone knows what we're talking about, and then we can just start talking about this issue. Sandman number 20, Facade. Written by Neil Gaiman. Pencils, Colleen Duran. Inks, Malcolm Jones III. Colors, Steve Olaf. Letters by Todd Klein. Edited by Karen Berger. Cover art, Dave McKean. Cover dated October 1990. On sale date August 28th, 1990, with a cover price of $1.50. Now, I got a little behind with this, so I didn't have a chance to write the synopsis out, but Mike's Amazing World, not only having information like the on sale date there, also has a great synopsis already written, so I stole it from them. So, all credit for this synopsis goes to Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. Thank you, Mike. Urena Blackwell is a former CIA agent who was sent to retrieve the Orb of Ra and was transformed into an element girl. Five years later, Rain is a depressed shut-in. She no longer appears human and is afraid to go out in public. Her only human interaction is a weekly telephone call with a CIA administrator who handles her pension check. One day, Rain receives a call from Della Caracas, also known as Triangle, one of her former friends in the company. Della suggests they meet in person. Rain puts on a synthetic face to disguise her appearance and meets Della for lunch. She feels awkward in public. Della tells her that she is pregnant. When some disabled children pass by, Della comments on their appearance. She hopes her child doesn't turn out to be a freak. Moments later, Rain's mask comes off and falls into her food, exposing her inhuman face. Rain runs away. She gets home only to realize she left her keys at the restaurant. She burns through the door, goes into her bedroom, and cries. She wants to kill herself, but her condition prevents her death. Then, Death walks in the door. She sits down next to Rain and mentions that she was passing by and offers to talk. Rain explains her situation and her inability to die. Death replies that all metamorphae die eventually. Rain then realizes who Death is. She is momentarily delighted. But death did not come for rain. The element girl still wants to die. Death suggests that she talk to Ra. He is the sun god. So rain looks at his son and hears Ra. She pleads her case for death. And within moments, Urena Blackwell is transformed into a pillar of salt, which gradually falls apart. After rain dies, the phone rings. Death answers and tells the caller that rain doesn't live there anymore. Jeff and Merck present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Costumes on. All right, and we're back. This is a hell of an issue. Even though <laughs> not much actually happens, quote-unquote, yeah. it's still a hell of an issue. 
it is powerful and also painful. It is just a punch is what it's it really boils down, down to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy to read. It really is. Especially when you jump to the end and you realize he wasn't, I mean, yeah, he might not be her friend friend, but I mean, he wasn't ditching her. That was like her one contact. Like if she waited another 10 minutes. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of look at that as it was good that he didn't contact her in time because that was all she was that was all she was holding on to. And I, I it kind of gets into one of my big themes about this is it's a bit of a, a talk on euthan, uh, euthanasia. And, you know, there are some people who have decided, you know, I, I, I want to die. My life is not worth living. Now, whether or not, you know, she could have found a better way to live, I, I think she might have been past that point. I think that she was, she had come to the realization that she was not happy with her lot in life. She was not happy with her standard of living and she didn't want to continue on with that, but she didn't know how to die. Yeah. So I think that it was a good thing that he didn't call in time because if he had, then she would have been, she would have held on for one more go around. She would have held on for the next call and then she would have held on for the next call after that. But if that's all she's waiting for and she's not doing anything else with her life, is she really living a life that's worth living it's a it's an aspect that kind of goes against a lot of the philosophy that we're taught and that we're expected to uphold as humans in a society and that is that society suicide is never the answer and this kind of explores the idea of well what if sometimes it is yeah, because otherwise her best case scenario was say she just lives phone call to phone call with this guy. So once a week she gets a five minute phone call and that's all she's looking forward to. Eventually he is going to retire or he is going to die uh, and won't have that contact anymore. She has at best 2000, you know, like in a best case scenario for her, it's 2000 years of living before she fades out. But that is just because somebody else who had her power set let live for 2000 years. Mm. And, oh, you yeah. know, it's just like, you know, say you get another 30 years of weekly conversations, you still have, you know, close, you know, close to the full 2000 years to go. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I was more thinking of the fact of if she waited another five minutes, she at least could have maybe went out a little happier. She went out really pretty happy. That's all. I'm just saying, like, maybe, you know, if she waited a few more minutes, she could have gotten that call from him and been a little, you know, felt a little better about her lot in life, her lot before she left this world. Okay. I, there could have been, I could have seen it as a little bit of closure. She could have told him, it's just like, you know what? I was really holding on to you as a lifeline for why I should keep existing. But I, I know how to move on now. And I just wanted to let you know how I feel that uh, thank you for, I know it was just part of your job, but that meant a lot to me. I don't know if she was strong enough to say that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if yeah, she was strong know. enough to, to, to make that mm. uh, that choice to, to react to him in that way. I think that she would have probably gone the other way and say, oh, thank God you called. I was waiting for you to call. Mm -hmm. It was getting really hard. And I don't even know if she would say that. I think she would just, you know, stammer through some excuses and just go back to exactly what she was before. Sitting on her couch, smoking cigarettes, waiting for the next, uh, the next week to pass. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's possible too. Either way, it is a heartbreaking issue just because of her whole situation. It really is. So there are obviously some really hard themes in here. Uh, we, we, there's there's the suicide theme, which 
we will come back to because there's more to be said about that. But there's there's depression where she just mm-hmm. sits there letting life go by. There's anxiety where she's scared of so much and there's so much that he has difficulty facing that the quote unquote normal people don't normally have as much difficulty facing. Um, there's there's just a lot going on with her that I think in 1990 when this came out was still a lot of taboo topics, was still a lot of things that you know your average parent of your average teen didn't really understand. Um, we live in a world now where um, psychiatric medications are almost part of raising a teenager for a lot of people uh, because there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of depression out there. But she she has a situation and she has no way to get out of it. And she has I mean, that that's a, that's a very, very difficult prison to live in. Yeah, and you raise a good point too, talking about like the psychology, uh, due to the fact that you know therapy. You know, I'd even say then was very kind of like a taboo. Uh, I don't think so, kind of thing. But uh, people going into therapy and talking to a counselor is very commonplace and almost encouraged now. So that way, people have an outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Back then, it was more of a used as maybe a punchline, like, "Oh, you're in therapy. Oh, this person's in therapy." Cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, they were either cuckoo or they were an out of touch Hollywood type. I could definitely see that as a Seinfeld joke, yeah. 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 And you had, you know, Dr. Katz is the first thing that comes to mind. Although I like the show and I, I thought it was funny. But, yeah, it, it's it, you're right. It's the punchline. It's it's not what people go through. And you have to put it into the superhero realm when you're talking about it. Would that be really something, especially in this community, that superheroes could do? Could they really go and have a conversation with a psychiatrist? Yeah, Doc Samson. Yeah, wrong, wrong universe. Right. Still, <laughs> they don't have a Doc hero. Samson. Yeah. They yeah, really have it. There's only one Doc Samson, really. I don't think anybody else is a psychiatrist. I guess I except mean, for like the, uh, what's Moon Moonstone or something. The closest I can think of for the DC is like, okay, you're going to go see a psychiatrist in, in the superhero world. We're just going to check you right into Arkham Asylum. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah they don't so, have good ones. Yeah, Marvel yeah. says two: one good, one bad. You got Moonstone and you got Doc Samson. Right, and they're no, and, and never shall they meet. <laughs> so, and Night Nurse is a good listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's there's no real outlet for this individual, and I, I, we could start talking a little bit here about beauty and self-image as well. And you're talking, thing, yeah. you're talking about the '90s and, and late '80s, and you're talking about one of the big hallmarks to a lot of culture, and especially in American culture, is the uh, beauty of the woman and and how she has to exist and how she has to present herself in society and give a give a little political if not a uh, a local uh, example of this recently there was a big to do because uh, AOC the congressman uh, the congresswoman she went and she had a her hair done it was like three hundred dollars to do a professional hair thing and like all the Republican congressmen are like, I just go down to the barber in, in the Capitol and get my haircut done for 25 bucks. Okay, but you're looking at two different things. Mm-hmm. The you know the level that women are held to, the, the expectation is that they have to spend a lot of money on hair. They have to spend a lot of money on beauty products. They have to do a lot of things to make themselves look a certain way. Otherwise, they're going to be seen as frumpy. Otherwise, they're going to be seen as unattractive. Otherwise, they're going to be seen as ugly, and they're going to lose respect. And now you have somebody here in this comic who her entire power set is 
just to be this craggy monster that has various elemental forces competing for parts of her body. And at the end of the day, she can't, she doesn't even look human. And when she can put on a face, she has to create that face. And it is not unlike putting on makeup on your face. It's only going to be good for so long before it either gets washed away or it falls apart or it has to be reapplied. So there is a very heavy symbolism between beauty and acceptance and a woman's role in that sphere and this creature. Well, yeah, and especially in the uh, 90s comic version of that, where it was basically like, look at anybody on a cover or anybody in a comic that was a female. It was like, what was the motto? Basically, it was, you know, make it tight, make it buxom. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. really all boiled down to, you know, how, how does their spine work that way? Doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Don't think about it because we need this view. Yeah. And their hair is just voluptuous yeah. and flowing and their, their, their face is perfectly angled and, and, and has the right colors and their lips are all their, their lips and mascara is perfect. Even though if you're talking about a superhero, none of that stuff is going to stay together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot of physical activity going on there. There's going to be a lot of sweating. Right. But yeah, no, she definitely does not fit in with that norm. I mean, there is nothing. Oh, she's only human in shape, really. Right. Until she does the thing of putting on her face, and it's only good for a certain amount of time. But that also is contributing to her her feelings and her uh, level of importance with how she is seen by the outside world, how she's seen herself as seen. And the the image that she can put out to the world is only going to be as good as her own self-image. And she doesn't have a good one. (laughs) No, she does not. I mean, she doesn't even like thinking about that. Like that whole thing about the dreams where she's like, I'd rather have the bad dreams because the good good dreams are worse when I remember how I was before. You have to wake up from them. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job with the uh, aspect that you know, it was very realistic because, say, in a superhero world where people are getting powers left, right, and center, not everybody's going to, you know, come up a winner. Nobody's, you know, not everybody's going to be like, oh, I have, I can turn my body into diamond and I'm gorgeous. There's going to be the, you know, scuttling crab monster people too. They're like, yeah, I'm bullet resistant. I look like a crab. Right. I can't interact with people and nobody can see me for the way that I was. I used to be an engineer, but now I'm uh, a crab, you know, kind of yeah. thing. So it is really going into kind of the body horror of uh, what the reality of what some superheroes would be. And I do think it's interesting that she is just a female version of uh, what uh, Rex Mason, you know, yep. Metamorpho. Yeah. He can be out and about and totally you know, be a hero and do all of his stuff. And he still gets the, you know, the attractive uh, Ditko girlfriend, wife kind of thing. Uh, but it's just taking it, you know, it's kind of like going, yeah, but that's because it's a man. And of course the woman can overlook such things because he's such a hero and, and beautiful of heart where she has really been like, uh, I need to not be a hero and I need to not exist. And I need to hide myself away because of what's been, you know, what's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Even though that was the the goal, the outcome was to go to this crypt and get Superman-like abilities. Yeah, well, going by the most obvious example, <clears throat> sorry, not obvious, but the most famous example of both those things, the body horror part of, like, not everyone's going to get the great powers, and also what you just said about, he's st- you know, Rex was still able to get the girl, the thing. Four yeah. of them go up and three of them come down, still looking great with powers that are fine to use, and he comes back this misshapen monster 
But you have you have characters and story elements like the Thing and the Morlocks, and they explore these concepts to a certain extent. But it's it's in the context of the adventure hero genre, and so yeah, his life is ruined, but he's still going to go out and have adventures. He's still going to go out and be the superhero because that's the kind of stories we're going to tell. We just we never really get the concept explored of okay, I got powers. And now I want to die because my quote unquote powers are actually really, really horrible way of existing. And obviously you can't have that be your story on a regular basis, but the fact that it really just doesn't happen very often is, is a little bit surprising in retrospect, but that's what they're going for here. Yeah. Yeah. It does remind me a bit of the um, fantastic four versus the X-Men miniseries. Uh-huh. Where they find that diary of Reed Richards, and they have the thing about—I think it was in that one at least—where he's talking about how he's got has to make them famous because of what he did to them, specifically to Ben. That he's going needs to make them famous and celebrities because otherwise, like, how can I live with what I did to this person? You know, I maybe and also how could he live with what happened to him? Hmm. Makes I wonder how it, maybe her life would have been if somebody had done that for her. <clears throat> Yeah, I haven't read that. I uh, wasn't aware of that, but that's actually really kind of interesting where you just go, okay, if you are famous and beloved for that, people will see past what has happened to you and see you. It's like, oh, I I love his big rocky exterior. I love him. I got posters of him up and everything, as opposed to there is a scuttling rock monster that lives in the sewers that we've heard about, and it is terrifying. Here is a picture of it. And that's the vibe you get from the first issue of the series. And it's kind of interesting, too, with the thing, because he spends most of his time saying, oh, what was me? What was me? I'm a monster. Um, but it's almost a bit of a parody because the way he presents himself is bombastic, you know, bigger than life, uh, very much an A-type personality. But then on the inside, he's like always, oh, I'm just ugly looking. Nobody will love me. But he, every time he just leans into his, you know, real self of just being outgoing and being fun and being, you know, goofy. Everybody loves him. Everybody thinks he's the greatest. It's just that he can't get his own mental image to really accept who and what he is. This story, this story is really the, 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 the opposite of that. It's like, she doesn't have that bombastic outgoing attitude. You kind of see a little bit that she, she can be friendly and outgoing when she goes and talks to her friend at the restaurant, but she's just, Holding it together as you know, oh, yeah. she, as as very you know, as quick as hard as she can, but if she had just that little bit of self confidence, that little bit of of acceptance of who and what she was, she could have lasted well, those two thousand years. I think it also helps in just using the. I'm not trying to talk about the thing more, but just to use as a comparison, he has a family around her, him. Obviously, she has no one, which is another problem. Besides, like we said before, about the fact that the lack of consideration of psychiatric help back at the time you know that really wasn't a consideration but she also is alone so not only does she have these issues she has them by herself there's two major aspects there's you know there's the situation that's triggering your depression or anxiety or suicidal ideation or whatever there's a situation that's triggering it but there's also your mental ability to cope with it and um, that's where you know your clinical problems come in because people have you know chemical imbalances in their brain and they physically can't cope with it and he doesn't really address that latter part here it's all pretty situational but you could probably infer that uh, she's definitely she's almost definitely got some stuff going on that 
if she had you know psychiatric help or if she did not have a, a certain amount of mental illness that she would probably find a way to fit in and cope and interact with people as it is she's scared of the phone ringing in her apartment and that's that's a difficult way to live it really is uh i think they've recently done a study showing how isolation for the elderly is uh is one of the biggest detriments to their health yeah i was thinking about that whenever i saw that page and she's like no one cares anymore no one visits I was yeah. thinking about elder, you know, the, the 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 plight of the elderly, where everyone kind of lives on with their life, and you're left behind. Yeah, I was thinking about that with like how better it is for them when they actually have something to do, when they don't just retire and then go home and stay home. You know, they're not working maybe, but they have something to do, something keeping them busy and interacting with people and involved in things, involved in life. Yeah, there's only so much sitting and watching TV you can do before you kind of go, you know, this isn't relaxing anymore. This is just burning out time. I spent I spent some time in my early 20s uh, working at a retirement center, and it was an active living for retired citizens. It was in downtown Portland, and it was one of those places where they had things going on all the time, and the neighbors knew each other, and they got them involved in things, and they had floor dinners, and they had outings, and they had just activities that were always occurring. And it was one of the things where it's like, a, they're all there waiting to die, but they're not going to wait to die just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, they're at least going to keep doing things. And having some activities. Right, and, and they're doing things together with other people that are same boat as they are. Yep. So their friends are right down the hall. We're going to go play cards tonight. We're going to go do this thing. So they have that community, and that's what it is missing here. She is missing that community. She doesn't have the Justice League that's there for her. She doesn't have the Avengers that are there for her. She doesn't have the Fantastic Four. So it's not. It's beyond just not even having the family. It's having nobody. Yeah. She's got somebody yeah. who works at the at the social services office who she's waiting for a call for. And like we said at the beginning, it's not a good way to live to wait for that next phone call that you don't know when it's going to happen and that's the only thing you're holding on for. That's that's not going to be a good living. Yeah, it's just a bad combination of all those things for her, unfortunately. All those things combined to make this reality for her which is just horribly depressing and terribly sad a couple a couple issues in the series ago you know back when we were in our land and, and we had um sean from secret wars and beyond you know get delivered to our door and we got to do a story about cats that was fun this is not fun thanks a <laughs> lot <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> I, I i get the feeling that you know it, she has tried she has tried lots of things she has made an effort to continue existing. And I think it's important to note, if, we're, if we are going to broach the, the idea that I mentioned earlier, that, that sometimes suicide might actually be the right answer, it's important to note that it wasn't her first go-to. You know, she's been, she's been living this way for a while. She's been struggling for a long time. And it's just, it's gotten to the point where she's tired of the fight. It's got, you know, she she does not want to continue this way. That's a difficult way to be where you, you know, people say this is the answer. People say you should do this. And you should try this. And so you do that and you try that. And for whatever reason, um, either because of the actual remedy or because 
your own mental illness keeps you from doing it successfully on a prolonged basis. Whatever the reason is, you're not successful. You don't find the health that you need from whatever that remedy is. You just have to keep on going, and it sucks because now you have no answer. This is this is definitely a harder one of the harder books to read in this Dream Country saga. I think something that we should be cognizant of and recognize that. Suicide is a very delicate subject, and we we never want to come across as saying that we are going to endorse or shame people for choices they make. Yeah. Um, the, the idea is that people should always go and get help, and they should always they should never go into something like this without talking to people, without trying to get the help they need. And there's a lot of avenues. I mean, even more avenues these days, and just making sure that people are aware of it. You know, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. There are people that are available to help people who are sad, people who are depressed, people who just feel that they can't go on. I think as a society, we've done a better job these days of not really stigmatizing people that go through this and that, you know, that are able to come out of it through the other side and they've found the help they need and they've got the, the, the support and people that are with them to get them through these things. But at the same time, I think I mentioned earlier on that there is a definite conversation here about euthanasia and when there is times for people who have hit the line and that there is no choices for them, there's nothing that they can do to go forward. I don't know if that was the best thing for Rain in this story, but it really comes across that, you know, at this time, during the 90s, where she was at in this world, in this society, there was nothing for her that she could reach out to except death. And speaking of which, that's where, you know, death comes, literally walks into the room. Because that's um, called a segue. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I um, one of those. <laughs> yeah, I took one of those tours around the state capitol once. <laughs> that is a lie. I've never been on a segue. <laughs> Well, since you're talking anyway, Jeff, and since you've never read Sandman before, so I'm I'm curious now. What did you think about the character of Death? I think she's my thing on everything. She's fine. Uh, she came in, you know. She said, "Hey, uh, your door was open, and I happened to hear you crying." And I was in the neighborhood doing business anyway, so you know, I just decided to stop in. Uh, I think that she was a little mischievous. But also kind of there is a caring, kind of helpful kind of capacity. She was there to help somebody transition into a death state, which is obvious. And she was a little kind of like, you know, hey, one way or the other, I don't really care. I'll see you at some point. But, you know, if you really kind of want the help out, you know, so I, I think she was uh, a fine character. I think she obviously is willing to do her job, which is go and collect people. You know, to transition into the death state. And uh, I think that she saw it as a uh, kindness to what she was doing to uh, Rain's character. I like the description of mischievous. I think that really, really fits her. Yeah. Well, because well, uh, especially at the end where it's just like, okay, uh, Rain is, you know, turning basically into a pillar of salt with a smile on his face and kind of evaporating away. And she's on the phone with Mulligan, who's called. And it's like, well, I'm, you know, it's like, oh, uh, me, I'm her friend, kind of, sort of, maybe, maybe sometimes, yeah. you know. And it's just that aspect of like the, yeah, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be seeing you. You know, so even with the guy she's talking to on the phone, she's still like, I'm death. I'm inevitable. I'm going to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think she I think she was doing a kindness to this person who she could tell was just like, you are at a stage where you are ready to check out. You are done. 
and I can help you get to that. I will. Have you ever tried doing this? And you know, talk talk to Ra. Ra is the son. He's still he's here right now. Talk to him politely. You know, so she even kind of gave her a little bit of guidance where it's just like, there's the person you need to talk to. Don't rail against him. Don't go into this in a you know hateful adversarial way because odds are he's going to spite you because he's a god. You know, he's I know what we're like. So he, she was uh, actually very helpful while still kind of being, you know, having a little Loki in her. So the, the interesting thing is hearing you say that, and like Sean was saying, or, sorry, I'm back on my earlier thing. Uh, like Al was saying, you, you don't have a lot of exposure or experience right. with these characters. I'm fascinated now really, you know, reading this again as we're about to go into 2020 saying, wow, she is the most 90s, 90s character I've seen lately. <laughs> um, but at the same time, though, death does come across in the series as somebody who is just an aspect. She's there for one purpose, and that is she's there to bring you into the world and she's there to take you out. Those are the two times that you see death. She's there when you come in, and she's there when you when you leave. Okay, I didn't know about the first half. Yeah, that's those only two times that you ever get to see death. Okay, and yeah, it's it's one of those those characters and those concepts which is very fascinating because she doesn't come in like the Grim Reaper. She no. do, and she doesn't come in like you know like, like this is a party. She just comes in. This is what's going to happen. I, I'm here to try to make it not as difficult for you. We're going to be doing this, but. Hey. It's very personable. Yeah, yeah, personable. Yeah, it was. She wasn't trying to make the fear of death, the grimness of death, right. the you know sepulture. I've come for your soul. Well, she, sure she does that sometimes, just for kicks. Yeah, Maybe. depends on. I mean, yeah, probably what she did with Hitler, but you know. Depending on the person. But once again, this is another really very interesting and cool creations of Neil Gaiman and how he created and crafted this character to be what she is in his storytelling aspect of these books and the, the role that she actually comes across in and does and does very well. There's a reason why coming out of you know the early 90s, mid 90s, as this character's popularity grew as a very supporting character in the Sandman books, you saw a lot of goth girls dress up like this. Oh yeah, very much so. Because this was a very personable, mischievous, uh, 90s-esque, gothic kind of character that made sense to people. And it really subverted the idea of the size-wielding, bone-clawed death, something that Marvel still had. Speaking of Thanos and, and his love of death, that was still the depiction that Marvel was using at the time of just the sort of yeah. depends on uh, depends on which I think it depends on which artist you sure. had uh, plugging that up because uh, that was a per, pretty curvaceous skeleton from time to time. Well, because well, Thanos thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it still is definitely if you're gonna have to have one of them come to you at the end. I'm definitely preferring the Neil Gaiman version of Death as opposed to Marvel's version of Death. Oh, yeah. Second one I would definitely say would be... Um, oh, off of uh, Bogus Journey? No, from... Best two out of three. For, Discworld. Who wrote Discworld? Discworld oh. Yeah. yeah. My, my second choice would be uh, Death from uh, Terry Pratchett, Discworld. Discworld. Mm. So, yeah. And actually, just remind me, my first choice, actually not her. She's my second choice. My first choice is the one from Bogus Journey. Because then you just Melvin him and get out of it. 
death, death takes the aspect that uh, the person will understand. Nobody except Bill and Ted are kidding that one. Because <laughs> nobody that dumb. <laughs> It's a fun death to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. Plays board games. He plays board games, exactly. <laughs> like, How did we get from Elemental <laughs> to uh, talking about death playing Talisman with you? <laughs> oh, Welcome that's... to my show. <laughs> Tangents abound. <laughs> I was trying to take the ferry across the river, except a farmer beat me up. You could be a chief or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the Reaper. Oh. I, I spent the last minute and a half trying to remember the words to that. <laughs> What's that from, even? I don't even know. That's Bogus Journey's death. Oh, seriously? Okay. Yeah, it's like his little introduction when they're on stage, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're on stage. The only, thing I have, nice. the only thing I have to say to you guys is Legion. All right. <laughs> No, no, you're right. Station. 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 Yeah. Station. 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 All right. <laughs> Sorry. Best three out of five. <laughs> Seven out of ten. Or yeah. one. Right. <laughs> uh, was that William Hurt? Is that that actor's name? Might be. No. Yeah. If only we had the internet to look that up. I can look it up. If I don't only we had the sum total of all human knowledge at our fingertips. Or four people who have seen the movie and are kind of like, Ooh. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a comic book. All right, let me ask you guys this. What do we want to talk about about the uh, faces that she keeps? That's an interesting piece. Um, I feel like it's kind of, but not really, holding on to her own old existence. But like she doesn't really want to throw a piece of herself away, but it's also not rational. Mm-hmm. It is not. It's I see it as toenail clippings. I don't keep many of those around for reminiscing. You know? <laughs> he has to figure out how to qualify that sentence. <laughs> it's, it's 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 exfoliating. It's like when I you know shave my head, I don't collect the baggie of uh, hair shavings. Kind of Jeff, Jeff, we we. There are three of us on this podcast that need to take a step back for a second. Uh, you, you specifically said all of them. Well, you got <laughs> some. I mean, okay. come on. Yeah, what I was going to say that. Yeah. I, I, I was waiting to see if anybody caught that. Oh, we I, all I, caught I that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't keep any damn clippings. You know, just the ones for the homunculi that I'm making. So he, I don't wants keep all. Make sure he's, he wants to make sure he's not a demon. It's like, as long as they don't keep growing, I'm not a demon. Look. Toenails? Evil toenails. I took them off the floor last night when she was in the bathroom. She thought I was asleep. Good thinking, because in the middle of the night, those toenails could have attacked you and left little half-moon marks all over your body. Don't be ridiculous. The point is, I measured them before I fell asleep, and again this morning. And they grew. After they were cut. That's a demon thing. Exactly. And That's what none I, of them keep growing except this one. Yeah. Well, I figure I want to keep some because I don't. I'm, I'm trying not to dilute their value because hey, maybe they're going to be uh, artifacts in the future. Who knows? Well, and after 30 days, you know they're not going to grow. So you can, that's when you can throw them away. Yeah, exactly. So you rotate through your stock. Yeah, but it's going back to the comic with that about keeping stuff. That's exactly the thing that Death says to her. What is it? Uh, you people always hold on to old identities, old faces, and masks long after they serve their purpose. But you've got to learn to throw things away eventually. I read that as, like, good advice, 
But like, Rainy is past that. <laughs> Rainy is past good advice helping her out with this. So like, what what Death is saying is good, but she realizes pretty quickly that it's not helpful at this point. And the, it would have been more useful to her 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, how long ago was it that she got her power set in this? Well, in reality. 1972? Uh, 65. Yeah, the it's... series starts in 65, and it was number 10. So even if it was bi-monthly, it's 66, maybe 67. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that it's a symptom. It is not the problem. It is just one other aspect that's showing that she is really far gone. She's been keeping these things. She's been collecting them. She won't let them go. They're a part of her identity, but they're not a good part of her identity. So, like I said, it's not the overall problem that needs to be solved. It's just one of those things that this leads to the bigger issue. And going with that real quick, I just looked it up. It's Metamorpho number 10 was her first appearance, January, February, 67. And her last real appearance was Metamorpho number 17, March, April, 68. Wow, she had quite the run. So she appeared in one issues 10, 11, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of that series. And then in April of 87, in Amazing Heroes number 115. And that's it. Like, had more of a Bronze Age run than that. I didn't realize it no. was so... She actually was not even in Who's Who, which is one of the reasons he used her, I read. Because she didn't even appear in the Who's Who book. She appeared in the loose leaf version of Who's Who after a year after this. But possibly because of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's it. She didn't even appear there. And then she's also had two other appearances since then. She's appeared in one panel of Silver Age Showcase number one from the Silver Age little mini crossover. And she had a very short three page backup story in Shade the Changing Girl number four. That's the new comic. Yeah, from 2016. And as far as the character goes, I think the character is interesting and fascinating. I think she would have been uh, a really cool character to actually use, and it was a shame that she wasn't used. There's that. She would also kind of would have just, she'd have been another Metamorpho, but just the girl version of Metamorpho. I'm sure they could have done really great stories with her. Mm-hmm. But uh, a thing that I would, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, well, they made, made pretty good use in the Silver and Bronze Age with various versions of Superman. You yeah, got the young version of Superman, the older version, you got the Supergirl, you got, you know, a dog, you got a cat, you got a monkey. I was kind of thinking of that, too, where, you know, there is the, uh, hey, this character's popular, throw all of them at the wall. And, I mean, isn't every... <clears throat> so they could have done it, yeah. It isn't every, basically every mass vigilante that doesn't have superpowers basically just the version of Batman? Well, as long as they're rich. <laughs> no, I mean, but, you know, doing the same, you yeah. know... Same thing, basically. It's, I punch people out and wear a costume and try and scare them or freak them out. Yeah, yeah. At that being said, then, uh, you know, it, Batman's basically the, you know, uh, radio serials, uh, pulp vigilante guys. You know, he's uh, the shadow. He's <clears throat> the phantom. He's the, you yeah. know, all these characters that were just like guys that went around punching folk, but they maybe had a mask or a scarf or something. Could have, uh, they could have done a lot with her story-wise, but they just they chose not to. And But that being said, I don't know if there's really a huge call for metamorpho stories yeah i don't I'm know that sure. metamorpho even the the core character is re- i mean i'm sure he has his fans but he's not that widely loved i think part of the thing here is that when you have those multiple versions you have to find some way to make each of them you know worthwhile in and of themselves you have to give them some sort of identity on their own supergirl 
in order to support her own series cannot just be Superman with a dress. She has to be a different person. Same power set, same costume design, but her own thing. And I think part of the idea here is that Rainy never was. Yeah, I could totally was her own person. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely not just a in 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 universe thing, but a very meta thing about it. The fact that this character has just been dropped from existence since those early years. Yeah, and completely ignored. And it it might have been the fact too, where they're like, "Oh, I've got a good uh, metamorpho story." You know, uh, oh, you know, every every six months we come up with a metamorpho story. Are we going to burn that on this other offshoot character who's even uh, less well known? Right. Probably yeah. not. Because if we have a good metamorpho story, why not just use metamorpho? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's a lot easier to. It's probably a lot, was a lot easier to have like a bunch of stories that you can use the people of similar Superman powers as opposed to, well, how else are we going to use? You know, do we have that many metamorpho type stories? <laughs> like I said, every six months. Yeah, and then it, I don't know what Metamorphos, you know, Rogues Gallery is, but you know, is it just going to be, uh, you know, Elemental Girl is going to just dip into his Rogues Gallery where it's going to be the exact same encounter, except you're a girl kind of thing. I don't know. I honestly have n- no idea of who uh, Metamorpho or uh, Elemental Girl's uh, adversaries are. <laughs> Most of what I know about Metamorpho is from when he was in the Justice League, so. With the All exception of his Metamorpho. father-in-law, I really don't know about anybody. Yeah, the only thing I know about Metamorpho is from either Justice League or Justice League Unlimited, the uh, animated series uh, shows, which were fantastic. So <laughs> I, I know him from like two, uh, a two or three episode arc. Oh yeah, that early one with uh, John Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So what else do we have on this? I was going to say, do we have anything else? Because we're st- sounds like we're winding down a bit. <laughs> I had actually had uh, something that I wanted to uh, discuss, which is actually the characters' names and how they uh, fit into the world setting. Okay. Because okay. Uh, Death, you know, Death's name is Death, and she deals with dying and death. So, mm-hmm. yeah, her name is very apt. Uh, I saw you know, her friend that she went out to lunch with was Mulligan. Oh, no, not Mulligan. It was Triangle. And her friend was in a love triangle with, uh, you know, she was pregnant with the baby of her lover, who was a guy who was still married. So there you had a triangle right there. And then, uh, you know, her phone call guy that she'd always talked to was Mulligan. And, you know, I kind of saw that as this is my Mulligan. This is the person that I could start over with. If only I could get a connection with him, I could start over. Cause there was a time where she was even, you know, she's talking to him and she's like, Hey, can we meet up? I, I know I'm not flesh, but I can make stuff that really feels like flesh. She wouldn't even know, you know, it, it was just, I saw that as the, the grasp for a Mulligan, a do over just a, can, can we just be together? So, you know, I can make it as best as I can, but you know, just to get a Mulligan from this person named Mulligan and looking at her name, her name is uh, Urania Blackwell, and yep. I can see Blackwell as being very much where she's at. She is a you know a dark well of despair right now. So I just I, I saw the names all fitting very well story wise for the characters. That's very good. I like that. Oh, wow. I mean, I dumb not catching that, especially the triangle part. That's very obvious. Yeah. The um, that scene in the restaurant with triangle, I I, I like. You know, you have this character who is completely absorbed with melodrama, mm-hmm. talking to this woman who is trying to figure out how to exist on a daily basis. Yeah. And it just it felt like such trite and trivial garbage to be putting on Rainey that like it doesn't matter at all. 
Uh, well, um, it's true, but for this person, it was a huge part of their thing. You know, it's a say this is the worst thing that's ever happened to him. It's like, wow, this is so devastating to me. But I've, I've encountered this before. Where, like, uh, in college, a gal that I was really interested in, she disappeared for a while. She came back, and she was telling me about the the woe of her life that is right now and how horrible it was. And every topic she was hitting, I'm like, yeah, I go through that. Yeah, I have that uh, three times as bad. Yeah, uh, I have the yeah that you know mentally. I was just like, right. I'm, yeah, I'm going through that, but with this, this, and this, the, your your problem is is to me is nothing. I lost interest in her after that, but that was you know that is that a failing on my part or is just a drift of people that you know how life goes. But it was just very much it was kind of interesting to me to just see somebody who's the worst things that are happening to them right now were just a, like a daily commonality for me. Well, and you, you look at what Rain is going through herself, where she she wants any connection with anybody. Uh-huh. And this person is in a love triangle. She's got an overabundance of people who are in her life. Yeah. And you know, Rain makes the comment, well, you know, I don't even get to talk to anybody. You know, I don't even talk to anybody. I'm not going to tell them your problems. Mm-hmm. Triangle is oblivious to the person she's talking to. She's she really oblivious is. to the people, to the person. Not to say that Rain shouldn't still be glad that she's got somebody to talk to about yeah. something, about anything. Triangle is using her as somebody that it is safe to talk yes. to. It's like, you you know me and my background. You were part of the organization I'm with. I can discuss, you know, I can say you know, where I work and go, it's a guy from work. You know what I'm talking about. You know the kind of, you know, oh, he's in whatever intelligence debriefing or something. I can't remember what he but, did. But, but then yeah. also, we're, we also are given the big clue that we're supposed to hate this person. Because, oh, I don't want my baby to turn out a freak oh, like yeah. one of those. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's like, ah. Uh, yeah, it's this group, and they're having an outing, and yeah, it's a birthday party, and they're all happy and stuff, and maybe, yeah, that's yeah, the no legs or no arms or the you know, whatever things going on. And you're just kind of like, ah, oh, lady, I could stick with you right up until the point where you're like, and look at these freaks, they don't even understand what fun is or how terrible they have it, and I don't yeah. want my baby to look like them. Yeah, it's, uh, and then you have Corrine, who's like, hi. I'm a monster. Yeah, and then Rain's face falls off. So <laughs> now I have a question about that story you were talking about that relationship, Jeff. Yeah. Um, so, are you trying to tell us that you've also found yourself pregnant with other men's babies, like on a regular basis, or just like every now and then? He, Jeff, okay. Jeff really doesn't like to talk about yeah. this. Uh, here, Rick, let me cover this. John, you're not part of the we'll just say company that I'm with. <laughs> So I can't really discuss this with you. I have not the, been shunned that hard since high school. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> of the organization that uh, that gets men pregnant, so I can't discuss this with you. If maybe you had gone to a uh, a ancient pyramid and were malformed by a uh, a sun god, maybe I would be able to have this discussion with you, and then you would understand male conception. You know, Al. You invite us. You, you, you invite us on your show, and then, and then you got people that ask these really personal questions. I mean, just not good host, not good hosting. We, we don't have boundaries here. We don't have boundaries. <laughs> you don't ask somebody how many times they've been pregnant. <laughs> Even I know that, and I'm ignorant. <laughs> so, wait, Jeff, is your does your boss does he happen to look like Danny DeVito? Just curious. <laughs> No, my boss looks like the scientist that raised uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. I, I, 
I'm having a real laugh to laugh about that one because yeah. <laughs> I, I I've got a I've got my own version of you, you know exactly right what my now. boss looks like. My <laughs> yes. boss looks like a, a adorable two year old girl, and uh, and and then the adorable two year old and then the uh, other boss is the adorable two year old girl's uh, mom. So <laughs> together they look like Danny DeVito. Together <laughs> they <laughs> really do not. They can't hear this yeah, at all. So maybe never you, maybe cut that. Yeah. Cut that. <laughs> Maybe if you averaged out the height or something, that'd be about it. I don't know. Ooh, I have blackmail material, John. <laughs> and they got that sweet Patreon really? money coming in. <laughs> That's not the worst thing I've ever said. <laughs> not by a long shot. Uh, what else do you got for us, Al? Uh, let's see. Hold on. All right. So I think we've pretty much tapped out this issue. It's definitely worth reading. So I put when I did the synopsis, I put it in all the places it's reprinted. So if you have not read this, I definitely re- recommend checking it out. I actually recommend checking out the whole Sandman series. Well, and like all the Dream Country uh, issues, it works well as a standalone, but it also works well in, in the larger tapestry. Yeah. yeah. If you want to start with Sandman, great. If you want to just read this issue, you can because it's definitely very standalone. You already know everything you need to know about it from us. But before we finish up this, how was that beer? I think I like it. This is the Blood Queen Cranberry Yuzu Sour. And it is very much a sour. So if you if you don't like sour beers, you might not like it. But it, it definitely has got that sour, back-of-the-mouth, puckery kind of taste to it. Um, with the very forward cranberry kick. So you've got this traditional cranberry sour that hits at the beginning and then the fermented sour beer taste that's in the back of your throat. It's a very interesting combination. Um, I like it. It's a pleasant, easygoing drink. It's not too harsh. Um, It definitely has a statement to make, and it makes it pretty strongly. Um, Not a beer for the faint of heart, I would say. Mm. What are your thoughts, John and Jeff? Well, uh, I'm kind of taking an opposite track on that, actually. Uh, I like the fact, I guess, that the sediment that was mostly in it has mostly settled to the bottom, (laughs) so I'm looking at little mountains of gudge. Uh, The taste isn't really doing it for me. I had to keep looking at the bottle to go, oh, yes, it's a sour, but it is not your typical sour. Uh, Sours, for me, have a very front-forward tart kind of like that really holds on. And this kind of has a, like, the front half of your mouth, for me, the front half taste in your mouth is very watery. The back half is very kind of like rancid cranberries. So... (laughs) I'm, I've got I've got a little bit of the switch of that because I got more of the cranberry hit up front. That's interesting, but yeah, it's it's just not really doing it for me. Uh, I'm not really caring for it. If we were giving a ranking out of uh, how many ashtray masks, ashtray masks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that sounds appropriate. Yeah, I'd give it like a, a two ashtray mask. I would drink it again. It's not what I want. I, I would go more of the uh, three and a half because, you know, every now and again, you got a broken mask and that happens. Yeah, yeah. But I would say I, I give it about a three and a half. I, I do enjoy it. It's it's good. It's not one of the best sours I've ever had. It's not the best sour I've had. It's not the worst beer I've had. I've, mm-hmm. I've had beers that are much worse. So my two is very oh, much yeah. in that kind of like, yeah, I'm going to keep drinking it because I'm not going to dump a beer because I'm not a, you know, a heathen. Right. But uh, it, it's, yeah, it's just it's not it's not what I want. It's not for me. It might be for other people. It's not for me. But I'm definitely keeping this bottle because Al Milgram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Let me check it. 
Sorry, Mike Mignola. I got the M's in my head. Mike Mignola. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, Al Milgram did the bottle? No. Sorry. <laughs> you, you can Al Roker did the art? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, started talking. I'm going, no, wrong M name. <laughs> Mike Mignola. <laughs> wrong Mephisto crossover. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to do our friends and enemies segment in a second. Actually, John, Grant from uh, Grant Richter is here to do that with me. So do you mind sticking, you know, and I don't want to leave him with Mephisto for too long. Do you mind sticking them back in the box? Because quite frankly, I don't want him to know we're associated with them. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got you. And then I get my tape. All right. Thanks. Hey, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What? What? No, I don't want to go back. No, 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 before we put them back in the basket, we want to talk about like where their podcast is and everything. Let them out real quick. Okay, hold on. I got to get the knife. <laughs> okay, well, that was really mean. I mean, you know, we come on your show, you don't ask us where we're from or anything like that, and they stick us back in the box. That's really mean. You are right, and I'm very sorry. Tell everyone where they can find you. All right. Well, you can find me at home tending my daughter. <laughs> well, uh, most of the time you can find me and my ashtray of a co-host, uh, Jeff, <laughs> at uh, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we talk about Power Pack. We're doing a serial review of all of the Power Pack issues and all the comics that feature Power Pack. And... Uh, just kind of having a good time talking about them, interviewing some of the creators, and um, inviting on guests such as Al to come on and talk about it with us. So come over and join us anytime you want. Where? Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. You can find us wherever you find your podcasting needs. You can also find us on Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present. You can find us on email at Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com. You can also find us on Jeff and Rick Present on Facebook. It's probably better to do it that way than going into Jeff's house. You can also find us at Jeff's house every other Wednesday, but if you do come over, well, that's just creepy. Yeah, and I'll ask you to babysit. <laughs> bring you beer. Know, bring beer. That's the reason Rick comes over. I, he goes, can I come over and record? I said, bring beer. And he says, okay, we'll make it part of the show. <laughs> and John, where can people find you besides here? So I have a few podcasting endeavors that I'm a part of. Um, every Friday is my Silver Age Marvel discussion show, where Mike Kaiser and I are looking at the uh, Marvel Universe superhero comics as they were published. That's Make Ours Marvel, which is at Twitter, at Make Ours Marvel, or um, website, makeoursmarvel.com. Uh, I have my Image Comics podcast, All the Pouches, and Image Comics podcast, at All the Pouches, on Twitter, johnreadscomics.com. Uh, just launched on October 31st, Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, which is nice. um, tfukpodcast.com on Twitter at tfukpodcast, where I'm going to be talking about all of the Marvel comics published, uh, I'm sorry, all the Transformers comics published by Marvel UK and the cartoons that came out alongside them in the 1980s. It's a very long tagline. I still have trouble saying it right. Um <laughs> But there you go. Those are my three things. And um, sometimes you can find me teaching eight, uh, eighth graders math. <laughs> Still recommend going to walk in on there, people. No, once no, again, once again, if you do that, you're going to get arrested. Yeah. Yeah. 
So when you finish this episode, because at the end of the crossover, since this is coming on the 31st, now you have something else to listen to. Go listen to TFUK. Yay. And, and guys, you were right. That was very rude of me to have John stick you back in the box before you got to do that. So I apologize. All right, John, they got to Thanks. do their pimping. Stick them back in the box. Back in the box! If I had to, you have to. Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Oh, hey, I was looking at these old comics and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? We have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married, we change our names, we combine our comic collections, we start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. (laughs) She goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey, to Phoenix, to Dead. Um, <laughs> and then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. <laughs> yeah. and now, uh, a brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. <laughs> a brainwave camera. Uh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast. We're two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marriedwcomics.lipson.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. Sorry. Normally, this is where the feedback would go. But like I said when I did the synopsis, I got a little behind with doing this episode. So no feedback this time. I'm going to try and do double duty on feedback next episode. So since we're not doing that, let's just get right into the friends and enemies segment. Okay, and now as long as we have no more infernal interruptions... Fine, I'll be quiet. You promise? (sighs) Yes, on my word as a lord of the lower depths. We're going to be doing the Friends and Enemies segment of the show. And today, helping us out with the Friends and Enemies segment is uh, from Sentinel Liberty podcast, Grant Richter. How you doing, Grant? Hey, y'all. I am fantastic. I'm super happy to be here. Um, awesome. Before we get started, who is that guy over in the corner? He looks he looks super sad. Um, is, that, is that the guy from The Cure? That's Mephisto. He thinks he's oh. dressed. He thinks he's fooling us and disguised his dream from the Sandman. Oh, okay. Well, hang in there, buddy. It's going to be all right. He's got the sad part down, at least. Yeah, that's okay. Those, those pictures, the, you know, just keep looking at those pictures of her. It'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, I know. House guests yeah. are a pain in the butt. Yeah, I know. Okay. Anyway, 
he's going to be quiet for now. So we are on our friends and enemies segment. So for anyone who, for some reason, is listening to this as their first time, and actually, since this is a crossover episode, there's a good reason for it to be their first time. <laughs> In our friends and enemies segment, we talk about the other comics that are out the month of our main issue, which was October 1990. And we talk about the other comics that uh, we had already covered on the show before. Now, just so everyone knows, by the way, to give credit where credit's due, the story titles and creative teams we got from Comic Book DB, and all the descriptions come from Marvel Age number 92. Except for the B story from Avengers 324, I got that from mycomicshop.com. And for Just League Europe, number 19, I got that from the letter column from JLA, number 43. All right, let's begin. First of all, we have the Avengers, number 324, The Crossing Line, part 6, Imaginary Borders, by Fabian Nicieza, Paul Ryan, and Chris Ivey, cover by Paul Ryan and Tom Palmer. The Avengers, the People's Protectorate, and the Atlanteans versus the Peace Corps and the Combine. The battlefield conclusion. And there's also a second story, Armies of the Night, by Mark Renwald, Richard Levins, and Fred Fredericks. Mother Knight stands revealed as the tormentor of the Avengers support staff. With help from Machine Smith and Minister Blood, the close ally of the Red Skull plots the downfall of Earth's mightiest heroes. And Jarvis, Michael, Fabian, Peggy, and John will be our instruments of vengeance. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. I remember seeing these on the stands. I never bought them. Oh, I, if I look at anything and I see the People's Protectorate, I immediately just turn the other way. Uh, I remember getting the issue of Captain America where they were introduced as a team and just hating it. So... Plus the uh, plus the little blurb fails to mention Alpha Flight. Oh, completely, and they're on the cover yeah. even. I know, but yeah, this is um, it, this is a this is a rough issue, Al. Um, man, Whew. yeah, this was not the best of stories. No, and the art is is not great. Um, I'm not super familiar with uh, with Paul Ryan. Um, Tom Palmer's doing his Tom Palmer all over it though, but. When you draw Captain America with like neck beard, you're you're in fail territory, and he's he's got some scruff all through this one. Yeah, him and Red Guardian. Yeah, I I just don't know, and I, I skimmed it, and like you said, you know, this is part six, and I didn't read the other parts. So I'm like, is this is this the uh, that guy from the Defenders? Is this the Presence or something? And why are they two people? And oh, look, now there's four people, and hmm, okay. So I just I don't know. I think this must be the second Red Guardian, because I didn't think about that to look it up, but I'm pretty sure the presence doesn't come back to Earth until, like, Quasar 14 or 15. Yeah. And I think this is earlier in Quasar's run. Yeah. I wouldn't have recognized this as Fabian Nicieza's writing, too. He Fabian has kind of a, a quirkiness and a, and a almost dry sense of humor to his writing later in the 90s, and this just doesn't have it <laughs> this doesn't feel like his uh new warriors at all or even his uh his x-force or his or alpha flight or... even i was gonna say man i didn't even know he did alpha flight wow okay oh yeah when they brought back uh guardian oh okay that's when he was doing that he took it over oh okay oh right 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 so but, like it's yeah. 100 or so but um now this was when marvel was doing the bi-weekly stuff every summer yeah some of those stories were a little, like really and I wonder if sometimes they were just like, we need to get something out now. Do something. Yeah. 
And yeah, I think I, that's an example. I think around this time I'd taken a little break from comics for a while with with Captain America and Uncanny um, Uncanny X Men, and I think uh, Liefeld had come on to New Mutants by now. So, which means I was reading it because I fell into that trap. But yeah, I don't have a lot of fond memories of comics during this time. But in this Avengers is an example of why. <laughs> yeah, I didn't start reading Avengers for a couple issues afterward when Larry Hama took over. At least it was more interesting. That's when Rage came in. Yeah, that's some fun stuff. Yeah, especially with uh, where Doom invades uh, Avengers Mansion. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I just reread that not too long ago, actually. Mm-hmm. That was and fun. I think, yeah, I remember uh, uh, Jason covered that on the Snick cast a few months ago, too. Oh, nice. That's right, because yeah. I think Wolverine might have been in that one. Yeah, he had like a little cameo. Yeah, that's when uh, Rage throws cupcakes at Doom. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite vision moments where he just like makes himself so dense that he's just walking across the floor and you can see the, the tile cracking under his feet. Was, I, I love the vision, so that that's a great one. I, I, mean, I wish we could just jump a couple months ahead and read that one <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah, obviously we're having... It says something about this issue where we're talking about other ones instead. Like, oh, that other one was good, though. I know. Did you have any thoughts on the backup story? The only thought I have on the backup story, which is the and something similar I'll say about the next issue as well. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we'll always save it for the next issue, because the next issue is actually a continuation of the backup story. Right. So, you got that one. Uh, Avengers number 325, Party Games, by Mark Gruenwald, Richard Levins, Fred Fredericks, and Many Hands, which is always a good sign. Cover by John Byrne. A new Avengers mansion, new heroes, new villains, and a new regular writer, Larry Hama, with Paul Ryan and Tom Palmer. So many lies. <laughs> so many lies. <laughs> Marvel League, what happened? Oh, Used so many cool. lies. Man, that's a good cover, though. It's a confusing cover, but it's a good cover. Oh, um, cover. Including I like the cover. Mullet's uh, Quasar is, is fantastic. Oh, God, yes. That is such a mullet. It, and I don't know who most of these people are. Uh, like, there's, there's, uh, Man Wolf and his Star God, uh, yes. goings on, and I guess a couple Crimson Cows. And... It looks like it's a dupl- It looks like it's almost like duplicated of everybody because it all looks like the same. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's two of everybody. That's weird. Well, there's only really one, two, three, four, five other people besides, you know, civilian identity versions of Cap. Quasar and Cersei. You got the Crimson Cowl next to Quasar. Like right. you said, Man Wolf. I some don't gar- know who the some... woman on fire is. No idea. You got a, a, a guardsman. Yep, and then I'm not sure where the guy in the red armor is. Maybe the... Crimson Dynamo? No. Um, one of the members of the support staff, uh, Fabian, I forget the guy's last name. He's kind of like their mechanic or computer guy or something, and he invents this suit of armor with like extending arms and legs and it's normally kind of grayish but they colored it red here for some reason okay so that's what that is right and when they when they Ah. do the when they do the backup story in the last issue and they uh, mother knight's messing with fabian's head you actually see his armor he sees it as a massive failure because he actually tried out for the avengers in an issue of captain america a few months before this okay now i'm guessing if there's a story we're missing but i just realized now who that is Remember, the first time the Crimson Cowl appeared, mm-hmm. it really ended up being Ultron. But at first, it was revealed to be Jarvis. Oh, right, right. All right, okay. That's yep. the whole and support so, staff. Mike, uh, right. John Jameson. John Jameson, right. And Michael then, O'Brien is guardsman. Right. I guess that's supposed to be Peggy Carter, but I don't know why she's on fire. Maybe she had flame powers at some brief point? 
I don't know. I remember they, this is the pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe Peggy Carter. Yeah, yeah. Really had a very diminished role. Yeah. You know, her she was not that important to Cap's life as she is since the movies came out. No, that's that's I don't know. I thought I was like maybe it's I I don't know. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to like research her at some point and see if in the comics she had firepowers or something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, she had a very minor role in the in Marvel Universe. I mean, basically, they kind of reversed her and Sharon Carter in the movies. Right. You know, Peggy's more important. Sharon's very minor. And it was kind of reversed from the comics previously. Sharon, uh, Peggy was very minor, and Sharon was the important one. Right, right. So that explains... Okay, now that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, why are all these people here? Oh, okay. I and, I forgot, and I forgot that Michael O'Brien was the... Uh, Guardsman. Guardsman too. So yeah, that make, that makes a lot more sense. Good call. This story otherwise has nothing to do with what the description is. Larry no. Hammond did not come on until number three twenty six. Nope. Um, I'm wondering if Mother Knight hear... is in it. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. I wanted to like this story so bad because I like the skeleton crew. I like Mother Knight and Machine Smith and Minister Blood and. Um, Crossbones. I don't even think Crossbones is in this, but Mm-mm. and I like them, and I I want to like '90s Gruenwald more than I do because I like '80s Gruenwald so much. But the the Skeleton Crew is a threat to Captain America. They are not a threat to the Avengers. It include Quasar, Envision, and Cersei. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Not at all. But I will say this, even though, and yes, I will agree, Mark '90s Gruenwald is not as good as '80s. But he does have, he still has that touch of, his villains are very human. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like, they do come off as actual people. They just yeah. happen to be making these horrible choices and have horrible lifestyles of evil. Yeah. But he does make them very, I mean, I was reading Cap for a while at this time, and the one of the things that kept me buying a few more issues was, like, they had backups with, like, Batwing and a few, Machete and a few other people joining the skeleton crew. And I was kind of enjoying, like, the use of the villains and like the personal things with them as opposed to the main stories. Right. There's an arc right after um, uh, Acts of Vengeance where Magneto takes Red Skull and buries him like deep underground. And then Red uh, Crossbones goes on a like a quest to find the Red Skull. And like when he finds him, even though they're both horrible, awful people, it's like Crossbones' reaction to finding Red Skull in this diminished state is almost touching. So yeah, he was. Grunewald was really good at humanizing his villains. But still making them villains. It's not like we wanted, you know, the Red Skull to win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You never want yeah. the Red Skull to win. But, yeah. Yeah, Nazis bad. Nazis are always bad. Yes, exactly. Yes. But I think the best thing about this is the cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not the biggest Byrne fan ever. Of course, a lot of that is based on what I know of him personally. But I will take this cover over the art on the inside, for sure. Yeah. All right, I think that's all we can say about the Avengers. Not the high point for them. No. On tour. Yeah, no, on, onward. Hopefully that'll be the last of our negative Nancys for yeah. this. We'll see. Yeah. Coming up next, Daredevil number 285, The Shadow Man, by Ann Nascenti, Lee Weeks, and Al Williamson. Cover by Lee Weeks and Al Williamson. Daredevil returns to New York City, but instead of rebuilding his life, the decision could destroy it. Well... I mean, he's in New York City. Right. I mean, I don't know about destroying his life. I mean, it's not, Honestly, that really I, is I, not I, the description of the issue, I think. 
Yeah, I actually skipped over this one just because I don't like most Daredevil. I like Nesenti's Daredevil, but I like later when uh, JRJR gets on the book and like they go to hell and fight Black uh, Blackheart and Mephisto. After this. Oh, is that? He, okay. I read it. He has amnesia. That's not uh, him on the cover, actually. That is Bullseye in his costume. That would explain the face. Yeah. It, that's. A, I mean, it's a good cover. The art's really good. I just don't have a lot of interest in Daredevil. Well, so I, Lee yeah. Weeks. Yeah. He's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, that, that does explain he's making this like kind of maniacal face as some dude's getting beat up by thugs in the background. So yeah, yeah. really good skim, cover. If you skim through the issue, you'll see that if you look at it, you'll see when you can see his Daredevil's face, there's eye holes. Oh, okay. Holes I needs to uh, see. I really haven't read much of Nascenti's run, but in in this issue, Daredevil seems to have amnesia, and he doesn't remember his name. He thinks he's maybe Jack Murdoch, and he says, "I had some weird thought thing of like being in hell, but it must be some kind of it must be a dream, you know? It can't be real." Okay. So obviously that must be after the whole going to hell thing. Right. With and that's a trippy Black- run too. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, with the whole Blackheart and Mephisto, and then you, for some reason, you get Karnak and, and Gorgon from the Inhumans in there. It's a... Nesenti gets into some trippy stuff sometimes when she gets really, really into what she's writing. Yeah, it's also... There's some stuff in here, actually, that's kind of prescient for things that have happened recently. Like, there's some, he stays with somebody who's basically squatting in a place in New York, and there's some comments about how, uh, you know, in the captions about how it's getting so expensive that only the rich can live there and like people just working regular jobs really can't afford to live there anymore. And mm, really prescient. reminds me a lot really <laughs> reminds me a lot of uh I hope I use that word right. <laughs> but really reminds me a lot of some stuff coming up recently, especially with like things of like uh increasing the uh minimum wage. Right. And things like that. So it it's it's funny how sometimes looking at these old issues and you see things that are like, wow, this is happening now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, it's like the the issue of Captain America that I'm covering for my show that I'm getting ready to put out now. Um, it talks about like crooked real estate developers in New York who are like, hmm, prescient. <laughs> oh, there was an issue of Daredevil we did on this segment from the '70s a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. where the plot one of the plots involves somebody using images of dead celebrities to make new films of them to kind of discredit Daredevil. I'm like, oh dang. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing and they're also talking about war in iraq wow and people don't know who to trust it like the news and everything they don't know who to trust anymore I'm like when was this written again 71 like or is it 2000 because it's like damn, nothing Marvel. ever changes <laughs> yeah i don't know if these people telling the you know knowing stuff that's going to happen in the future or the fact that nothing ever changes right <laughs> all right well that's daredevil Okay, so I will take over with Doctor Strange, Source of Supreme, number 22, Dormammu Ascendant, by Roy and Dan Thomas, Butch Geis, and Tony DeZuniga. I hope I'm saying that right. Covered by Butch Geis. Dark Wars, Part 2, The Return of Dormammu. Um, dun, 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 dun. This one's kind of fun. I was uh, telling Al that... Uh, uh, for for the listeners that uh, I had read this one, I had read this whole run a while back when uh, Herman Lowe and I were doing Into the Weird together, and uh, it's it's not bad. The art is I don't think the art super duper holds up, but there are some trippy bits in this, like where where Mamu gets a hold of Stephen and Clea, and he kind of puts oh, them yeah. inside each other's bodies, and they're trying to crawl out through their mouths, like ha. Ah. 
Oh, that was really freaky. But they're both still in the, their own bodies, but also in the alternate bodies. It's like, right. like that's a really cruel torture, mm-hmm. or at least very imaginative. Right. The other thing I like, the only issue I really had with this this whole run, honestly, I mean, again, the, the art's not super great, but there's a, this whole thing where uh, Mordo has been imprisoned in Strange's Sanctum, and his personal assistant, Sarah Wolf, is like slowly kind of falling for Mordo while he's locked up, and it's kind of a, oh. a reverse Stockholm Syndrome, and I don't know, I don't think Roy handled uh, Sarah very well, because I remember her from the from the later 80s issues of Doctor Strange or the mid-80s, and she was a much stronger character there. So that was kind of a, a, a downside for me. But beyond that, it's it's not a bad issue. It's just Okay. Numb. See, I didn't know who she was because the only issues of this series I had read, I think I picked up issue one when it came out. Mm-hmm. And then I read some of the Infinity Gauntlet crossovers or Infinity War crossovers, something like that. Nothing really substantial. Yeah. So um, I didn't know who she was. She's in uh, the Roger Stern run during the 80s pretty significantly when it's the whole thing where they're trying to destroy Dracula and they get the dark hole and read the Montesi formula and, okay. and, and all that. that that's, a, that's a really fun run. That's probably one of my favorite runs of Doctor Strange. It's got Blade. It's got who looks very, very different in the 80s. Um, oh, he still looks like he did in the 70s kind of? Yeah, he kind of looks like he kind of looks like if Michael Jackson wore earth tones instead of like like bright colors. <laughs> yeah, that was, and uh, it's got Hannibal King in it, who I really like, and it's oh, it's yeah. just it's it's a it's a really fun arc. But yeah, this not not quite as good. Plus, I I hate Steve's like giant uh, Tom Selleck mustache in this series. <laughs> the one thing that got me for this, which I was mentioning to you before the year we were recording as well. Is that it ends with, you know, Strange and Clear trapped in a dark dimension. Dormano's going to evade Earth. And Mordu has just been released from his prison, like you said, by Sarah. And it says, next issue, Bear Mordo, Defender of Earth. And I, I kind of like when, like, the villains kind of win. But by winning, they're kind of almost stuck in having to be, you know, even though they're still doing it for evil reasons, kind of stuck having to, like, take the hero's job. Yeah, that's one of my favorite tropes in fiction honestly is the anti-villain you know like where the anti-hero is the person who does the wrong thing for the right reasons um the anti-villain is the one who does the right thing for the wrong reasons i think that's a really fun trope and you know i, I do like it when when mordo has to handle that later yeah like it's one of the things i liked about uh dc's forever evil mm-hmm. is that luther was kind of making his own justice league and they had to free the earth you know they weren't right. trying to take over the earth they were trying to free it mm-hmm you know, so like Black Adam and Sinestro are the good guys. Right. That's why I like the uh, the Doom 2099 series. Yes, I did like yeah. that one a lot, too. Where he, he conquers the world to uh, for its own good because he knows best, or conquers the United States, at least, I think. It's been, a, it's been a forever since I read that. Yeah, same here. But, um, yeah, I mean, and at that point, he's actually right to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's... Uh, yeah, there, there's some more prescient stuff in that, too, with the, with the mega corporations taking over the world. Oh, or, God, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready to move sure. on? All okay. right, next one. Fantastic Four, number 345, The Mesozoic Mambo, <laughs> I like that title, <laughs> by Walt Simonson. Cover by Walt Simonson. The FF trapped in prehistoric times. Right. Simonson's run on Fantastic Four is so much fun. It has such a sense of humor. It's 
it's yeah. I don't know. It, it's really a joy to read. It, it's a very different feel from his Thor and um, from the X Factor that he and and Wheezy were were working on together. But it's really it's lighthearted. It's without being goofy. Um, yeah, no, I do like it. I read some. I went back and read some of it. I need to really do a read of it, the whole thing. I really started with the, uh, which I'm sure is the whole point of doing that, the new FF storyline with Art Adams doing the art. Mm-hmm. With uh, was it Hulk, Spider Man, Ghost Rider, and Wolverine joining the team briefly? Which which you covered on Snickcast, I believe. Yes, I did. Have and so plug, but I exactly. But I like those issues. I kept reading it afterwards for a while because, especially that Doom story was so trippy. Yeah. I think that's the one where, like, he traps all the different FF members in, in these very specific little traps, and Reed gets into a thing where it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and he gets out by chipping away at it with his belt buckle. Yes. Yeah, and I remember the, that really distinctly. But this was really fun. And, mm-hmm. the, I mean, I, I kind of have memories of this, so I must have read this one before, but not knowing exactly what was going on in the story, I still was able to follow completely, which is yeah. sometimes a lost art. Yeah. It's like I, w- I would jump onto this one and jump off because, you know, there there was no LCS where I lived. So I was st- still even at ni- in 1990 at the mercy of the spinner rack. And sometimes they would have it and sometimes they wouldn't. But I would jump on. I'm like, OK, wait. So now, you know, Sharon's still a thing, but Ben's not a thing. And he's got a suit of armor. And where the armor come from? Well, it doesn't matter. Let's just roll with it. And it's fun. And it doesn't really exactly. it doesn't really bog the story down. Yeah. I mean, I biking distance from my house at the time. So I would go there and buy stuff. But I started, I tried FF Inferno because I started the Power Pack and the X books, mm-hmm. which at the time was really only three issues, three books. Very easy to follow them all. All right. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men, New Mutants, and X-Factor. But I kind of delved into other Marvel stuff with Inferno. Mm-hmm. And I started, I tried FF during Inferno, but it really didn't catch me. So I, and I, this was still before I realized who Simonson was. Mm-hmm. I liked him on X-Factor, but I didn't really know creators yet. Right, right. Just, oh, yeah, that, that's that guy that I remember from that other series. Yeah, I was the same way. Yeah, I was only like, at this point, I would have been, so this is November 1990, so it would have been coming out around September, uh, no, sorry, October, so it's been coming out August. Mm-hmm. So I was almost 15. Yeah, I think I, only reading for I, a couple years. Uh, I, I think I just turned 16 when this came out, so yeah. And I've been reading um, since I was like 12, so yeah, I didn't know them yet, so it took me to... I reckon Art Adams was one of the first few ones I did know, like Art Adams and Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson, like the first few creators I, re- I recognized. Right. And he but, brought me on. Oh, yeah, Earth, for sure. And I stayed because the story was good. Right. Um, that Man, th- this story just reminds me how just Sharon Ventura is just one of the most tragic characters in the Marvel Universe. Her backstory is is heartbreaking and almost it's unsettling to read. I, I don't want to get into it, but. Uh, guys, oh, I know. Yeah, if 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 anybody, if, if you're not familiar with Sharon Ventura, who was the second Ms. Marvel, and then later the She Thing, go read her Wikipedia. It'll it'll break your heart. The last thing I read with her was in James Robinson's run of Fantastic Four, where she was in prison. Yeah, I I I uh, I didn't I didn't touch Robinson's stuff, but uh, yeah, just just knowing why she has like mental health issues, you know, that's like ugh, I don't know. But anyway, he, he brought Sleepwalker into that, and I do like Sleepwalker is one of the minor characters I do like a lot. So, okay, Sleepwalker's fun. Yeah, he's like 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 that 1991, 1992 uh, group of kind of second stringers that are a lot of fun. Him and 
Darkhawk and mm-hmm. uh, then the the second Deathlock. All those guys are a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, no, this was good. Uh, definitely, this is one to definitely uh, pick up or at least, you know, if you have Marvel Unlimited, check it out. That's for sure. All right. All right. Next so up is you. my turn. All right. Uh, let me get back to the thing. Uh, we are on Incredible Hulk number 374. No autographs by Peter David, Dale Keown, and Bob McCloud. Covered by Dale Keown. Rick Jones returns hot on his heels as the awesome Super Scrawl. Uh, just barely. <laughs> Super yeah. Scroll appears on the last page of the book. Well, I mean, he appears throughout the whole book. We just don't know it's him until the end. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of figure out from almost just from the cover that it's probably him because you see, you know, the 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 one of the all-time great psych outs that I always fall for. You see the thing's hand, and then you don't see the rest of the thing. You're like, oh, it's going to be a big fight with the thing. Oh, it turns out to be a Super Scroll. But then you see, like, these scroll um, shadow silhouettes. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay. But now, I'm not the sharpest tack, so I missed it the first time around. This is the first book we've caught, we're covering here so far that I was actively collecting at the time. I, I wasn't collecting the Fix-It run. I started when they all merged and became the professor. But yeah, I've gone back and, and reread these, and they're they're just fantastic. It's yeah. Just I, one of the shining jewels of the, of the muck that uh, a, a lot of early 90s Marvel turned into. Yeah, I started reading towards the end of the Fix-It run. Mm-hmm. When he had that, like the last few issues when he has that whole thing with uh, Clute and Glorian trying to get a soul. Oh, yeah. Right around I that the, time. I, I I read the the part where he got like poisoned by uh, like his Countdown. brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The leader's I, brother. I, right. Yeah, I read that on and off at the time. But yeah, I didn't really jump on until The Professor. But yeah, I, I, I like the Fix-It stuff. It's got a... It's got a lot of good characterization in it. Yeah, I yeah those, those ones I mentioned, I started doing on and off with it, like picking up when I could a chance. But yeah, that mm-hmm. story countdown you mentioned is when I actively started reading the Hulk. Yeah, and I'm pretty certain it had Marvel Age probably had an article about it because I remember knowing about it ahead of time, and I was reading Marvel Age because it was both well, damn cheap. Yeah, yeah, Marvel like Age was sense. Yeah, it was man before. And before the internet, even before Wizard, you know, and I, I so regret reading Wizard now, but yeah, Marvel Age was really what kind of kept it clued in back in the day. Plus, it had Hembeck's page every month. Oh, right. <laughs> Honestly, that's one thing I want to do is try and finish a collection of Marvel Age. I would love to do that and just like get those out and just bind a hardcover of like all of Hembeck's stuff. Wow, that'd be a lot of fun. Do a, a Fred Hembeck podcast. <laughs> I like the whole thing he did, but yeah, no, this Hulk, I love Brian Hedbeck, he's so much fun. Yeah. But yeah, no, this Hulk one was fun, and I like this run, I like this era, this whole thing with him getting back with Betty, and, oh, this is what makes me like Rick Jones, because this is my introduction to Rick Jones, is this Hulk run. Yeah, I I really did like Rick in this, um, and I, I like him even better when it gets on to the later stuff where they merge, become professor, and then, like, Rick's becoming a rock star, and he starts dating Marlo, and man, mm-hmm. that's, that's... That's great. Are are you reading um, the current Hulk series, Immortal Hulk? No, um, oh, I want to read it, but right now my budget for buying co- for buying comics at the store and my room for them is limited. So right now it's limited to just stuff that I think is going to be pertinent for the show, and one or two other things I really need to read. So like uh, Legion of Superheroes or the new Grendel series by Matt Wagner. Right. Uh, the other stuff I'm going to get to eventually, I figure on Marvel Unlimited. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's on Marvel Unlimited. That's how I've been reading it. It's up to wherever it was six months ago. It is it is one of my absolute must-reads every month when it becomes available, even though it's six months behind. It's it's just phenomenal. And they're about to, it looks like they're about to bring Fix It back into it. Oh, uh, or at least okay. that's what they're teasing. I might have to jump te- to that now. Oh, it's, I mean, it, I don't really get into horror comics this much, but this series does horror really really well i i al ewing's writing it i i become a huge al ewing fans from this series i do like al ewing a lot yeah so that was something that made me want to go okay tempted me with it but i couldn't throw another book in at the time right yeah yeah you should you should definitely check it out on marvel unlimited uh, i might have to do that soon okay so next up is iron man number 261 Armor Wars 2, Part 4, by John Byrne, John Romita Jr., and Bob Wyacek. Covered by John Romita Jr. and Bob Wyacek. Armor Wars 2, Part 4. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> Very description helpful. of Marvel Age. <laughs> I know. I guess it was such a huge thing at the time that I guess they, all they had to say was, it's Part 4 of Armor Wars 2, go for it. It's, it's a thing. Okay. That, I was surprised how much I liked this. This um, was pretty good, actually. I wasn't this a big is, Iron Man fan at the time. I'm, I've never been a big Iron Man fan. I honestly think that drawing Iron Man was what started J.R.J.R. down his road of making everybody look like rectangular and blocky. But man, this looks good. Yeah. This is peak between this and his run on Daredevil with Andesenti. This is peak John Romita Jr. Just the way he draws Fing, fing, fing Foom at the oh, end. And that man. might be the anchor. Just the way they do the, the cross hatching as shadows and everything and Man, this and I've never been a huge fan of John Byrne as a writer, but this was this was really engaging. It made me want to. I've never uh, really dug deep into his Namor series. I've popped into a couple issues here and there, but this makes me actually want to go read his his Namor series from the early nineties. I did like the Namor series. I was reading that one at least up until around like twenty six, twenty seven. I guess I was kind of like the people who read New Mutants in the beginning and then had like dropped it because Bill Sienkiewicz took over. Right. When Jay Lee took over, I was like, what is this? Oh, I love Jay Lee. That was like, that's what started me liking Jay Lee. Plus I brought back Iron Fist. Well, actually Iron Fist came back earlier, but yeah. there's this one like page of like Iron Fist coming up out of the water to fight some bad guy and like where you know he says, Oh, Iron Man's dead. Iron Fist is dead. You know, his he's no problem anymore. Then he pops up out of the water and he doesn't do anything. He did he gets his butt handed to him again, but it's such a great panel. And like, man, I I have loved Jay Lee ever since. But um <laughs> oh, I've grown to like him since then, so I kind of it's one of the things series I kinda of like want to go back and look and read the whole thing again, including you know, seeing how I feel about the Jay Lee stuff now. Yeah. I, I do like his more modern stuff, like from the 2000s better, where it's kind of like this. Everything is kind of made out of inky darkness, as opposed to back then when everything was like lightning bolts of darkness, I guess. <laughs> well, he's evolved. His style has obviously evolved and gotten better. Especially you know, his work on the Gunslinger series that Marvel did is just amazing. Oh, and speaking of Jay Lee and, you know, obviously image and stuff, which would come up you know, over the next year or two. Notice something interesting in this one. This is the only one of the few issues where the writers credited third. I didn't look catch in, that. Yeah, if you look in the credits, it's John Romita Jr., then Bob Wyatchek, and then John Byrne. Wow. Huh. That is, yeah, that's the beginning of a trend. Yeah, although I'm wondering if maybe John Romita Jr. maybe was doing plot. Maybe that's why mm-hmm. he got, they gave him first credit, because, I mean, I've seen that sometimes. I'm like, someone's just scripting. 
Like, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like plot and pencils by the art, you know, plot and pencils and then script. When you said that, I thought that maybe too, but then the fact that um, the Mars twins from True, Burns right. Amor series got drug into it, I was like, no, this has got to be a, a burn plot too. But I think, yeah, I think it's just the trend that Marvel was going into where, you know, they were aiming at kids that were our age at the time, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And back then, you know, when you're that age, you're kind of visually focused and you just, you know, they knew what sold. But unfortunately, they they played that card a little too heavy. No, and that's true. I mean, like I said earlier, that's what brought me into Fantastic Four is knowing Art Adams was doing the writing. I mean, sorry, Art Adams is going to be drawing those issues. Right. Yeah. That's one of the earliest names I knew. Right. That actually almost made me not read it at the time because my first real exposure to Art Adams was Mojo Mayhem, the Excalibur special. And that's not good Art Adams work. That actually turned me off to Art Adams for a long time. And it wasn't until much later when I bet it was like, oh, there's good Art Adams. Oh, okay. Let me read all the good Art Adams. And there's a lot of it. Yeah. All right. So Justice League Europe, number 19, Pushing the Button. By Keith Giffen, Bart Sears, and Randy Elliott. Covered by Bart Sears, Bruce Patterson, and Bob LaRose. Only one man has the key to stopping the extremist, and he's on his deathbed. The secret of the extremist revealed. A secret that could mean bad news for the Justice League. Make that worse news. This is where it's revealed that pretty much Walt Disney uh, owns everything. And so, again, prescient. The Disney Corporation... Owning everything, owning Marvel, the, owning Marvel. Yeah. Owning these Marvel analogs. So, yeah, because they come <laughs> from the world of Blue Jay and the Silver Sorceress, which were analogs for Yellow Jacket and uh, the Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Witch. Right. Yeah. And, the, and these are obviously versions of Lord Havoc is Dr. Doom, Tracer, Sabretooth. Was it Die Hard is Dr. Magneto? Yeah. Dr. Die Hard. Uh, the Gorgon is Dr. Octopus. Uh, and Dreamweaver, or Dream, whatever his name is, is um, Dormammu. Dormammu, right. Uh, yeah, Dream Slayer, yeah. Dream Slayer, that's uh, it. Yeah, I this remember is where I, I started to, getting get JLE. This is my first issue. Yeah, I, I started with the beginning of this arc, and it was this is a good arc. Uh, I, I was never a big JLI fan uh, back in the day. I just At that age, I just did not want humor in my comics. I just wanted, you know, I either wanted... I wasn't into like the snarling anti-heroes, but I wanted more serious fare. I think the Justice League Europe hits it almost just right, maybe a little too much with how they portrayed the Flash back then. Mm. But with he's like the constant, he's a, the sexually harassing practical Joker. Uh, but yeah, uh, I didn't read Flash till Mark till like the end of Meisner Loeb's uh, Meisner Loeb's run and beginning of Mark Wade's. But I've just started on DC Universe reading the. This run of Flash, you know, Wally West run. I've read issue one and two so far. So mm-hmm. I'll see when I get to the part where he joins GLE how accurate that is to how he actually was at his own book. From my understanding, he was, he was when his first solo series first started, he was kind of a jackass. So I think they was probably, I, I think they played it up. Um, I think they accentuated everyone's uh, characteristics. But I, I do like this this arc particularly. Um, I think Gorgon is probably my favorite with the tentacles that come out of his head. He looks like he looks like something from Nightbreed. Yeah, that's right. Oh wow, and that, just, that, yeah. And just on the cover, if you look down in the corner, he's holding a beer. <laughs> <laughs> he is. <laughs> it's really funny. I've always wondered though, and because I think later on they introduced uh, Major Glory into yes. the Justice League, and he's a Captain Analog. 
Captain America analog, did he come from the same universe no. as? Okay, I was, I, I, I've always wondered that, and I've just never taken the no. time to really look into it. Because they actually reveal that he is the. They thought he was a comic character, but it's something that actually it's funny. It's something that Marvel has done, where they said a few of these uh, characters from their timely era mm-hmm. were actual characters that, like, the timely comics were just like cover stories. Right, right. Featuring these characters. Um, so they did the same thing with General Glory. And in mm-hmm. fact, he had his own Bucky sidekick, Ernie Ernie E. Ernest. Right. And guess what kind of hairstyle he has? Uh, I don't know. Well, do you remember which member of the Justice League was a big fan of General Glory? Oh, right, right. Yeah, he had the bowl cut. And that's why that's, that's why Guy Gardner had the bowl cut. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's modeling it after Ernie's, after basically the Bucky. That's he wanted really to be General funny. Glory's sidekick. Uh See, that stuff, looking back on it now, is funny. Back then, I'm like, nope, don't care. But yeah, you know, now being an old man, it's it's pretty pretty humorous. Yeah, and I do, and apologies to John Wilson. I like, even though she has been dead for years, I like the Silver Sorceress actually more than the Scarlet Witch. I, I don't have an opinion on that one way or the other. But one thing I was glad that they actually did with this is where they have her take her helmet off and you can see that the she's the silver sorceress because she has silver colored hair because otherwise like wait she's the silver sorceress but she's wearing gold that makes no sense that's right yeah she headdresses off at this point yeah she looks a lot better with it because she looks like she's wearing like floppy puppy dog ears or or bunny ears on her helmet it's like it's like a version of loki's helmet oh okay you know has the big things on it but yeah, and I, I do think, like the I ending. think Blue Jay looks really cool, though. I think Blue Jay's on a really cool design. Yeah, and I did like the ending where they had her impersonate Crimson Fox, so when Dream Slayers blast him with magical energy, all of a sudden Crimson Fox just shoots it back at him. Right. And it's like, nope, I was in disguise. Sucker. Yep. I didn't read this. I didn't skim through this one for this one because I don't, I don't own it anymore, but I, I remember it from back in the day. Okay. We have Thor, number 424, Let There Be Life. By Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, and Joe Sinnott. Cover by Ron Friends and Joe Sinnott. And also The Great Deception by Tom DeFalco, Gary Hartle, and Dan Pinozian. The stunning conclusion of the Black Galaxy Saga, plus Odin versus Ymir, King of the Frost Giants. I like this one. I like this one a lot. <laughs> I love how Kirby-esque this looks. It's like, oh God, it's yes. like Kirby, but, and I know this people are going to hate me for this, it's like Kirby, but better. It's like all of Kirby's good stuff filtered through, and some of his, some of his not so great stuff filtered out. Uh, it looks so good. Well, it's also very, yeah, you know, like you said, it's very uh, '60s Thor because they're very much channeling the Stan and Jack of the time with the writing and the art. Yeah, and I'm not the biggest uh, Tom DeFalco fan. Like I, especially what he would do. Uh, a little later in the 90s with Fantastic Four, but, you know, with the with Sue's infamous uh, mm. costume. But this is, in, I'm like, I've read a few issues. That I read, uh, I was reading this run right before Thor got quote-unquote killed by Odin or, or whoever. That's where, and, that's where I started and, with the first yeah. uh, Eric Masterson is Thor. Yeah, I, I started right before that, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And I eventually just kind of, you know, I was like, well, I've only got X amount of money, and there's all these X titles, so haha, Thor's got to go. But yeah, I, this makes me want to go back and start from the beginning of the DeFalco and Friends run. I'm, I've actually gone and added, like, downloaded it on my Marvel Unlimited while I was while we were setting up. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, this is a lot of fun and crazy cosmic stuff, which Thor did a lot in the six, late 60s. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where, you know, e, we, they first had the origin of Galactus. That's where they first brought an ego. Right. Like, Thor was their cosmic book, you know, before mm-hmm. we had, you know, Guardians or Silver Surfer or Quasar or Warlock. Yeah, exactly. Yes, this is really neat. I don't have any specifics to say about it other than that. Um, did you have any any thoughts on any any particular items? Not much, really, other than, like you said about Tom DeFalco. I think when him and Ron friends are on, they're really on. And right. if he's off, he's not, no, he's off, it's not that great. Like, I agree with you about FF, because I kind of dropped FF from when I started reading shortly after they started, like, shortly after we revealed that it was uh, a scroll that Johnny married. Right. Elijah, the laser fist, yeah. Um, Who is just came back, actually, in uh, Future Foundation number three. I did not know that. I uh, that, oh, none sorry. of that none of that stuff is on uh, Marvel Unlimited yet. I'm I'm waiting on Bated Breath because I I really uh, I really enjoy the the writer who works on that. Um, oh, sorry. J- J- this uh, Jeremy Whitley, right? Yeah, the guy who sure. does uh, the guy who does uh, the Wasp, uh, Unstoppable Wasp. But I love Unstoppable Wasp. But yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. So I'm gonna go ahead and read the the thing for the next issue of Thor, sure. but I don't. I don't have any specifics to say about it either, other than it's man, the that same book. Cool. If right, we have anything yeah. to say, we can continue on. Right. So it's uh, Thor number 425, The Flame, the Frost, and the Fury by DeFalco, Friends, Milgram, and Danny Bulanadi. Uh, cover by Ron Friends and Joe Sinnott. The Black Galaxy Saga, the Astonishing Epilogue. And, um, yeah. This was still pretty <laughs> good, but I think probably because of Joe Sinnott, the last one was a little better art-wise. I agree. And do you know it's his? It's his ninety. Joe Sinnott's ninety-first birthday this week. I was about to say something about that. Yes, there was actually a thing that was out on Twitter. Uh, Fabian Nicienza, I believe it was, or was it Ron Mars? It was one of the two of them. Retweeted about it. A thing saying, "Yes, send him a card. Send him a note." Yep. Mm-hmm. Which and I'm going to try and do this weekend. Then his like grandson like ran with it and did all kinds of promotion stuff for it. So yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, saying about the Tom DeFalco, like they were still. This was still a good story though. Mm-hmm. I just think the art was a little better with uh, Joe Sinnott. But also, like I was saying, when he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. they're off. But like uh, FF wasn't that great, but Spider-Girl. Yeah, I, I was Spider about Girl. to say that. Yeah, and that's Sal Buscema as well, right? I think so, but I don't recall. I just knew yeah. it was definitely DeFalco and Friends. Okay. I was, for some reason, I was thinking it was Sal Buscema. But I never got into that, but it always looked really, really good. Oh, yeah. I read that from what if, the What If appearance mm-hmm. till pretty much the end probably of her runs including some of the other mc2 books too even though they all kind of died quickly yeah it, you notice that it's always a spider or spider adjacent book that kicks off some kind of alternate timeline you know with we have spider girl with the with the mc next and or whatever it was called in 2099 and then ultimates and oh so, yeah yeah interesting but yeah this was this was fun these stories were fun i might have to go back and check these out yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is this your your list that you sent me is uh, increased my uh, my online library for Marvel Unlimited quite a bit. There we go. So good times, just not those Avengers runs. Yeah, no, we'll skip that. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing, just to mention, a little bonus issue. It's just we're just telling you it's out. It came out the same month, but we're going to be covering it on its own episode some point in the future. Thanos Quest number two: Games and Prizes by Jim Starlin, Ron Lim, and John Beatty. Covered by Jim Starlin. The soul-shattering conclusion. I'm like, oh, yeah. wow. Thanos Quest. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I know you don't want to go into it much, but 
I'm not a Ron Lim fan at all, but Ron Lim's art in Thanos Quest looks spot on. It is really, really good. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to reading this again for the show. Yeah. So I yeah, get to this in the next year or so. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing it when you do. We'll get there eventually. All right. All right. Well, that's it for our Friends and Enemies segment. Grant, thanks for joining us. And let people know where to find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at StormChaser2162. That's just kind of my generic internet presence name. As I get a little more episodes done for Sentinel of Liberty, my Captain America podcast, I will probably change my Twitter handle to make it something that has something more to do with the podcast. Um, but you can find, if you just Google Sentinel of Liberty podcast or Captain America podcast, I'm one of the first results that comes up on Google. You can go to Anchor. It's anchor.fm slash Sentinel of Liberty. Um, working on episode 10 right now. It should be out in the next few days as of, as, right. as of the time that we're recording this. <laughs> so go check it out, guys. It's a good show. Thank you very much. And I've had a ton of fun doing this with you, Al. Same here. Well, thank you for joining me. And on your way out, just just hand him the new box of tissues, because I think he went through the one he's going through already. I I promise not to Rochambeau you, Rob, or Mephisto, or uh, Dream, or whoever you are. Yeah. He doesn't know. Whatever. He'll just respond. (laughs) He's not very good at keeping up the disguise. He's so very sad. It is very sad. (laughs) (sighs) In late 1984, Marvel's direct sales manager sat in a crowded meeting of comic retailers. Let's be honest, Secret Wars was crap, right? But did it sell? The room exploded with applause. Well, get ready for Secret Wars Series 2. Beginning in 2018, Pulp to Pixel's Marvel superhero Secret Wars and Beyond will do the unthinkable Secret Wars 2. We'll take a detailed look at the event, the tie-ins, the new characters, and we will attempt to answer one of the largest questions in the history of the Marvel Universe. What the heck was Jim Shooter thinking? No, no, seriously, what was Jim Shooter thinking? Well, you can find out at the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where you can subscribe to all of our amazing shows, or just to Secret Wars and Beyond itself, as it is now in its own omnipotent feed. Secret Wars 2 and Beyond, a Pulp to Pixel Podcast production. You'll believe an omnipotent being can use the restroom. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
<laughs> this is the longest fart joke ever. <laughs> this is a fart joke that never ends. Which is on, on it, uh, my friends. friends. I had some, some food about an hour ago, and then it came back up and it went toot toot toot. This is a <laughs> See, this is what happens when you bring two guys from a kid-friendly show. We don't get to do this kind of stuff on our show, so we came here gassed up and ready to, you know, be rude and crude. That sounds like a plan. See, because it's like a play on saying Martha. It's, I am Martha, but it said Morpheus. Yeah? Yeah? Never mind. <laughs>